it's it's the end i've been singing that doors song all day you know where it's like this, this is the end, end. <laughs> I mean, there'll be a season two, but it's like been weird all day. Yeah, I was what's like, that other song where it goes? Every new beginning comes from some other beginnings. Oh yeah, God, I don't know. I'm not. This is a Daryl's good at this game, not me. I know Eric's good at this game too. We need to get um, those two together and go bowling. They're gonna love each other to go bowling. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's been a ride, man. It has. We should say, if I mean, no one's listening to this episode first, but in case, welcome to Faded Mates, everyone. Aww. Welcome to Faded Mates, the IAD episode. Oh, that's, that's good stuff. And you know what? We'll be back at some point with Monroe. Forevermore. When Cressley puts a new book out, sure, we'll do an episode. We'll revive season one with all its wacky hairdos, its plaid pants, all of the crazy looks <laughs> that we sported. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It'll be episode, what is it? It'll be episode 19. Honestly, I don't even know. So Eric, our producer, has asked us to please stop doing 0.5 episodes in season two, which I am fine with. I think we're both fine with that. That was clearly a mistake, but whatever. It happened. It's fine. Well, we didn't know. We didn't know what we would become. We didn't. We didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> we didn't know interstitials would become a thing. We thought we were going to do the. We thought they were going to be 10 minutes long. That's like of all the funny fucking things. That's my favorite. We're like, we'll just do these little 10 minute episodes. Yeah, sure. it'll be super fast. They won't even need to be edited. We said. Yeah. <laughs> That's nonsense. Oh. Also, mainly I spend most of my time going, I don't I don't think we need to be edited, and Eric spends most of his time going, you definitely need to be edited, so. Although I did notice that he did not edit out in the, in the player, where you said, instead of grifter, you said something really funny. And instead I was, of what? Instead of grifter, you were like, the grong or something, and you were like, <laughs> edit that out, and I was like, oh, it's still there. No, because now I think he's just comfortable making me seem like an idiot. You're not an idiot. You're brilliant. No, I mean, I, I, what I love today, I feel like it's, it's right that we record this today, the day I received a tweet that said, I've decided that I basically only listen to Fate of Mates to hear Sarah McLean mess up Cressley Cole titles. You know. And, you know, I, I never say I don't give you anything. I spent a lot of time thinking about, like, Wicked Abyss. And I was like, well, it's Ab- it's Abyssinian, right? I guess. I mean, wicked Abyssinian. Sure. Okay, so let me do some talking because poor Sarah. I told her I would do the plot summary this time because she's coughing and, you know, you should save yourself. All right, because I got to host them. I got to MC the readers. You all are listening to this in the future and you'll know if I've just fully fallen on my ass on the readers. No, but it's going to be amazing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna live tweet it. She's gonna Chris Evans me if I do fall. She's gonna come and get me. Yeah, I mean, obviously. <laughs> Hello, I actually have hired Chris Evans, but don't tell Andy because no. shit's gonna get real. She's gonna spirit no, him away. Andy's gonna get, <laughs> gonna get a restraining ordered. Oh, hilarious. Okay, Wicked Abyss is where we are, which is uh, the second book of the Moriore movement. Would you say? I would. I would say. 
Yeah. We took up like a lot of pause because we did a bunch of other things in between um, this and Sarah's favorites. We ruin. But ruin. I Freak! know. You guys, know. I've heard such lovely. Uh, we got such lovely responses to Rune Week, and I know you're all a little bit like just humoring me. <laughs> Somebody, Joanna Shoup said to me today, I thought it was going to be, it should have been longer. I thought it was going to be a double episode. And I was like, Joanna, it was just <laughs> twice as long as every other episode. Like Rune's penis is twice as long as every other penis. Well, CN seems to have be quite well endowed. Oh, and it's pierced. CN is really I know. good. I yeah, mean, seems good. so you guys, here we are. We're in the like, I, I mean, Cressley's hit her groove for me. It goes Rune, the player, Wicked Abyss for me. Yeah. And that is, in fact, the order that we have done these. So everybody's happy. So let's talk really briefly about the plot. Although, like I was telling Sarah before we started recording, I can't even fathom that anyone would be like, let me start with this one. But if you're here to start with this one. Yeah, this is not a good one to start with. No. I do think you could start with Rune, but then you, yeah. you can't start with this one. Although, anyway, whatever. You do whatever you want, everyone. Just listen to the podcast. Okay, it's not even about Cressley anymore. It's about us. <laughs> We've centered ourselves. Um, l- The book starts out with Lila, our heroine, working as a face character in Disney World in Orlando, Florida. And she is an actual fae princess, essentially impersonating one at the magical world of Disney. Um, which I do not recommend, by the way. I know there are Disney fans out there. That's probably going to get us a bunch of hate mail. But I was like, all you can do there is shop. Whatever. Um, anyway. She's there working as a face character, which I think means she, like, dresses up like Cinderella, right? Have you been there? I have not been to Disney World. I've been to Disneyland. But actually, can we just have a pause and talk about what I think is, like, the greatest book about Disney that there is? There's a book called Inside the Mouse, Mm. which is a social history of Disney World, of, like, the Disney, like, the entire Disney experience. It's written by an anthropologist who spent a bunch of time studying the, like, inner workings of Disney World and all the rules of Disney World and, like, timing things like how long it would take uh, trash to get cleaned up if you dropped trash at Disney. Right. Um, And all – what's really fascinating, I think one of the most fascinating things about this is that every person who works at Disney, at least according to this book, uh, plays a character. Even, like, the janitors, the – um, people yeah. who work at the hotel front desk. It's a persona. Like, yeah. they all wear a name tag. The name tag is not their actual name. Mm. And they are playing a character. So, I, I mean, this book is amazing. If you are a Disney fan, I think it's fascinating because it shows you, like, really all the inner workings. If you are a Disney skeptic, it's real great. Because you're like... Oh, it is entirely fabricated to give us the most sort of manufactured pleasure there is. Sure. Yeah. I, uh, my favorite thing about Disney was that New York Times essay where the guy talked about how much research he did to figure out where he could smoke weed while he was there with his kids. (laughs) Have you ever read that? No. It was like in the New York Times magazine sometime in the past 10 years and it's effing hilarious. Like the guy was basically like... I knew I was going to be there all day with my kids, and I knew I was going to have to, like, 
smokable and just like find a way to do that and it is really fucking funny and we'll that put it is so funny. we'll put it in show notes for sure i mean and then there's also worth putting in show notes the banksy video of um banksy got to disney world and like fussed with one of the rides like uh-huh. installed a bunch of art and at one of the rides and then like how long it took them to like i think it was like on the matterhorn <laughs> is that a thing Matterhorn, yeah. am I making that up? That's a real thing, too, in Switzerland. So I don't yeah. know. Yeah. But whatever that Swiss ride is. We are people who actually like to really go to ro- go on roller coasters. And I grew up in Ohio, and there's this amazing place called Cedar Point. So I am more of a, like, I want to go and ride rides. And Disney is, like, just not our jam. We went once, and we're all like, hmm, this is weird. We wish we were at Cedar Point. Oh, I know. But oh. did you go with a child who understood the magic of kingdoms? Uh, he understood the magic of there weren't any good roller coasters. Yeah. Because I feel like I have a child who would lose her mind. Yeah, maybe. At Disney because she yeah. would be like, oh, my God, everybody's a princess. And it's just so fucking expensive. Like, I was actually, like, offended by how expensive it was. <laughs> But, you know, whatever. I also wouldn't like... That's real. I think that's just a real... Like, that's a real... Yeah. That's a real thing. But what's really interesting is that I think that Cressley is doing something very Disney... Evocative of Disney in this book. Um, There are a lot of, like, characters in this book who feel like they're characters from... Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. Fantasia. Mm. Cin- is it Cinderella? No, it's Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of, like, allegory going on here. Um, and then, I like, I mean, basically at the end, Lila is Maleficent. Like. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening here, like, pop culture-wise. Was this... Did this book come out before or after the Avengers movie where Kate Blanchett grows like the horn oh, crown Thor, or whatever? Which, Thor yeah. Ragnarok. It probably it must have been. Well, it I must mean, have been before she for sure. Looks no, it wasn't. It was 2017. I know this because I wrote about Cian and Lila in that essay I wrote for the Washington Post about the alpha feminist. Oh, okay, okay. So it was 2017. Got it. Okay. Um, so here we are. We're in Disney. And now go on, please. So, well, tell me, though. Wait. Okay. So there's all this Disney allegory and illusion. But, like, why do you think it's there? I mean, like, what's it doing? Unless it's, I mean, because, right, it's like, why, like, why do it if it doesn't mean something? Well, but here's the thing. I think that it does mean something because I think she's playing with archetype a lot in this book. In yeah. a way that she doesn't really in others. Like, Cian mm-hmm, is really, and, and look, if there's anything that Disney does well, it's like distilling a character to its purest form. Like, yeah. there's no nuance in Disney characters. No. But there is here. I think the thing I keep thinking about is it's really playing with the princess trope. Yes. Right? Because this is the first time, I think... Well, I guess Bettina is a queen. They're queens, right? The queen, the sorcerer are queens. But like a princess, a fairy, this, she's a literal fairy princess, mm-hmm. right? And don't forget, we've just come off this whole like storyline where like fae are 
like where Rune sort of says like the Fae are very old fashioned and they really right they're sort of like they like wear pastels buddy duddies <laughs> and right. they like wear pastels and they're very they don't like have emotions and 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 right and like Lila is none of those things like she's right. the opposite of a fairy princess you're absolutely right she's miserable working at Disney and who wouldn't be but she is an awesome queen of hell so I mean I think that's it like right that's the interesting part to me is it's but that's really the thing. it's like it's twisting all the tropes and playing with all these like ideas, I think you're totally right. This is about fairy princesses and like what makes a fairy princess and why like this a sort of a anal- like there is a sort of tongue in cheek like you can see Cressley like winking at you and saying like why do we love fairy princesses so much when we could have why do we yeah. love Sleeping Beauty when we could have Maleficent right right. Like, why would we ever choose one when we could have the other? Yeah, it's interesting, right? I mean, and it's like to name it so boldly at the beginning, right? To like sort of set it yeah. in the, the magic kingdom and then have her go to a real magic kingdom. To a kingdom. magic it's kingdom. Great. Like, she's in a magic castle for the majority of this book. So right. I want you to talk about uh, game makers. Yeah. So book. I ended up feeling really happy that we had read... One of, like, our continuing conversations over the Game Makers trilogy was this, like, recurring, like, kind of core story of, like, the, like, being kidnapped, right? Like, the hero kidnapping the heroine. And in, and, and one of the things we talked about is, like, the evolution of that story by the player is that you don't even really realize she's kidnapped, right? Like, he is, like, they are married and he's whisked her away and it's just going to be a couple weeks and she doesn't even really want to go back and... And then I think this book is the perfection of that trope, right? Because the reason we read them in the order we did is because that's the order they were, they were published. And so to have the uh, essentially them, you know, really, I was reading it again. And I was like, what's the plot summary of this book? Like, she gets told, you know, by Seth, like the fake king that she gets if she agrees to go and essentially trap Abyssian, Nyx knows that, you know, she's she's his mate, that they'll save Sylvan and he'll marry her and she's like agrees to it. And then the entire book is them just like battle of wits, right? Like, you know, cat versus cat, as you say, like sort of matching Witzer's not, they don't really go anywhere. They don't really do anything. There's not a lot of outside influence. It's just them. Mm-hmm. And it's, and, and what is interesting about that is it, it doesn't ever feel boring. No, it's right? really interesting because so there's, there's this thing that um, intelligent comedy is called, well, it's not just comedy, but intel, intelligent, there's this whole concept of a fishbowl episode where mm-hmm. like you never leave the char- like the characters are trapped in a space it's like 12 angry men or whatever yeah, right and the ca- and and you never the viewer never leaves the space with them so obviously that's that's not the purest form of what we're dealing with here but like 80% of this book is in that magic is in like pandemonia and yeah. and like 80% of that is in the castle and it's it's a fast it's fascinating because i was reading it and i was thinking like we talk a lot about these books being like a masterclass for authors, right? Like how do you build tension and conflict in your characters when they aren't actually going anywhere? Yeah. Right. Like it's, 
unbelievable what she is able to do yeah. with these two. I mean, also because what you're dealing with here is so. I mean, I always joke that like when I don't know what to do with two characters, I send them to the opera, yeah. right? Because like at least we're in a different space and like there are people yeah. around, right? But like right. she can't. There's no sending people to the opera in Panamonia. Like she's just stuck there. This castle, right? Like it produces. I like that it produces whatever you need. Oh, right? yeah, like the, absolutely. The castle offers you the things that you need and like you should not refuse it. And so like that sets you that sets you up and like there's the weird there's the fawn like yes. loping. I mean like look Bambi. I don't want to make a big thing about this, but like I yeah, Bambi is happening here. Um you know, there's a lot to be said for this idea that she Cressley basically was like, I'm gonna pack this book with yeah. With Disney. Yeah. It's really interesting. It's a weird, and I don't know why you do it necessarily, unless it is sort of like a game. Like, maybe it's a game. Maybe it yeah. is about archetypes, and it is about, like, like simple storytelling. I mean, like, the book is an incredibly simple story. Like, oh, yeah. there's nothing complicated about this book at all, and it's being told as a fairy tale by Nix. Yes. That's the other really part of this, which is you mentioned that in Sweet Ruin there was an epilogue, which is really unusual. In this book, it's a framing device, right? Mm-hmm. Like it starts and ends with her telling the story. Mm-hmm. And then it's like Orion, your your move. Yeah, right? Your like move. her putting Lila in Cian's path, right? And and like kind of Yeah compromising him right in this way to like potentially be on her side or being aligned to her side all we know about orion at this point is that he's sort of like cool and and calculating right Mm -hmm. we've not seen him emotional we've not seen him even like raise his voice like we've we've not seen him care about rune or abyssinian um and i think it's really interesting because um, Nyx is sort of like we know Nyx can't see him like we know Nyx yeah. he, she's the she he, he's the sort of black hole for her like or the not the black hole he's the, the blank slate the blank thank you he's the blank slate for her so he, she can't see him she can't predict what he's about to do or what he's going to do she just knows that at some point the two of them are going to interact right yeah and it will be a battle in some way. Of course, we readers hope that that battle will be a battle to love. Sure. But what's interesting is that is that for somebody who is so cool and calculating and unemotional, um, what Nix seems to be able to keep doing is Nix is throwing emotion into the mix for him. Um, not, yeah. not because she doesn't know how to shake him. It's not his emotions, but she's activating. She's using love as an activator. As like right. a transformative force, as a catalyst, yeah, as a catalyst, as um, as you know, I talk a lot about how how romance is about like it, it, romance is transformative, and um, happily ever after is a sort of is the sort of most powerful way that you can resist, that you can sort of push push back against a dominant force. That's what's happening here. Yeah. Critically. Um, And I think that um, what Nyx is really, what's really fascinating here is how Nyx is manipulating Orion with love. 
Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And I think one of the things that I also though want to talk about is so like the setting of this book is is pandemonium. We've been here before in Dark Sky, but this is like a totally different take because we're at the castle. But one of the things that I like when I teach about setting, I talk to kids a lot about how we forget the importance of time in setting. That we just think about setting as being about a, about a place, but like if it's a hundred years ago, right? Like you and I can't vote. If it's two hundred years ago, we can't own property. It's right. Like I mean, so we could be in the same place, but when time changes, that changes things too. And so one of the things that's really fascinating about this book is that Cian is very old. It's ten thousand years, but he has these memories of her. Yeah, that she does not have. Right. And she and it was really interesting. She she's not really even interested in collecting them. No, and it's interesting because so Lila is a reincarnate. Um, she's Cian's mate reincarnated. Um, and wait, does he know she's her mate? No, he doesn't actually know. They don't. The demon seal isn't gone until he. I. It's it is not he gone. Sends but he sends her. He knows it's her. Yeah, there's a really interesting thing because, no, no, no she, he knows she's reincarnated. Carrie? Carrie? Carrie. 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 Yeah. Um, she knows he's a reincarnate. She's a reincarnate. He knows she's a reincarnate of Carrie. But is it certain that Carrie, I mean, Carrie wasn't his mate. Lila's his mate. But, like, he perceives that Carrie was his mate 10,000 years yeah, ago. Yeah. Which right. arguably makes Lila primordial. Right? If you're a reincarnate, then you're primordial. She's a primordial fae. And that's when she realizes that she has more of a claim to the throne of, of Sylvan than, than Seth, Seth does. Right. So I think, though, the thing that's, like, really interesting to me about, like, time here is that... um he is really unable to like I actually really struggle with this what feels like a very 80s romance hero plot which is like some woman did me wrong and I can never trust another woman because that one woman was so yeah, bad but it's, right it's a it's a new version of it right because yeah it's you did me wrong so there's a Kylie Scott book repeat have you read this it's her most recent book Mm no no i haven't so um it's an amnesia story and the it begins with the heroine walking into a tattoo parlor like Mm. she knows that she can't remember anything right and it's like weeks after she's had a traumatic brain injury and she has lost her memory and she walks into a tattoo parlor and the guy who runs the tattoo parlor is like you need to get the fuck out of here like you're Uh. You're not welcome welcome. here. And she's like, what? Like, all I know is that this place is important. Like, can you help me? And it turns out he was her. They were engaged and she broke off their engagement. And like with no and they were like deeply in love. And they had no um, they like came to this place like and he didn't know why or like what happened but he was like we were in love I loved you more than I've ever loved anything I was giving you every piece of me and you broke off our engagement and now you're fucking back with amnesia like you want me to help you remember (laughs) your life which was 
truly traumatic for me. Yeah. And she's like, I do. And then he agrees. He's like, listen, here's my number. You can text me with questions. Like, yeah. And I will answer your questions, but I don't want to talk about us. And I don't really want to see your face. Right. Yeah. And it's a great book. I tore through it. It's everybody should read it. It's a great book. But the reason why I'm bringing it up here is because it is very Abyssinian. Like, he has, Cian has this past, right? Right. Or not Abyssinian. That's a cat. Abyssinian. Um, Cian has this past. He remembers her in a, she was a real bee, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I mean. I can't believe you can't say it. I was like, she's not a bee. She's I was real. like, she's flying around. She's a real bitch. She was a real bitch. <laughs> like. Yeah. They have this whole, I mean, like, she, she made him. him cut off his horns. Okay. Uh, I think that's a radical interpretation of the text. He oh, does that to him his own damn self. Whatever. Sorry. I'm sorry, but no. Oh, like, I'm sorry. Whatever. She didn't, she said she couldn't love him as a demon. And he was 12 and a half years old, and he cut off his horns to get her to love him. Fine. Okay. Fine. She didn't tell him to do it. Fuck that. No. No, I'm sorry. No. I'm sorry. You're wrong. No. Uh, I'm so right, and I'm going to tell you why. Because he was not 12 and a half. He was 16. Oh, whatever. And no, no, whatever. You've like, never I'm met sorry. a 16-year-old who makes dumb choices? I have a 16-year-old in my home who makes dumb choices, and he is responsible for them. And you know what? I am sorry if the shoe was on the other foot and some man said to her, like, I don't like your horns. And she went and chopped them off. We would not blame the man. We would blame her. Like, no, be responsible we for your own actions. We would not. We would say that asshole needs to be in cold storage for 10,000 sure. years. He totally needs to be in cold storage for 10,000 so years. so does she. Would you say that Ellie made Lothair cut out his heart? No, but that's different. They're both grown humans. I mean, not humans, but they're grown, like, people with actual, first of all, First of all, Lothair is like a million years old. So when he cuts out his heart, he knows exactly what he's doing. No, you'll never. No, no. She was an asshole. He obviously mistakes were made. Like he made some bad choices. But like I would. If were the scenario reversed, we would loathe that hero. Okay, of course, I loathe her. I just don't think she needs to be the one to blame for him being like, oh, she said she didn't like my horns. I know what I'll go do. I'll go amputate them. Because at Mm -mm. the end, that's why it's so perfect. That's why this book has the greatest horn moment ever. Because if she weren't involved in him cutting off his horns, when she puts on her own fucking crown, it wouldn't make us all like scream as though we were watching the fucking World Cup again. Mm, okay. <coughs> I'm right and you're wrong and you're going to come around to it by the end of this episode because that's how this works. I mean, keep trying, but I, <laughs> I'm really struggling with your starting point quite a bit. I really am. I really am. Because I don't think it's about... I like how you were like, it's, I think that's a radical interpretation of the text. Men need to be responsible for their own fucking actions. I'm sorry. I don't I care mean, if they're 16 do. Of course or they're 600,000. We are not talking about like, these, this is not the same kind of act. This is self-harm. This is not like, this is self-harm to make yourself into the image of the person who you think could be loved by 
this woman who is never going to love you. Mistakes. So, I'm not arguing that it was like the right thing to do. I'm just saying she was a piece of it. Okay, but that's different from your original statement, which is she is to blame. No, I said she made him do it. She didn't make him do it. He did it to him. He did it to himself. I'm sorry. That's not. I will die on this. Nonsense I will talk. die on this hill. No, I, I'm sorry. Be responsible for your own damn self. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Own your own choices. God, you're the fucking Morior and you're like moping he around. Wasn't I know. the Morior. Oh, you mean now? Oh, well, that's a different yeah. thing. Why he's still mad at her now is a whole I different know. thing. I just, I guess he just I know. like slept he's too mad long no. and he wasn't like working through his anger in no, his sleep. He's I don't mad. know. Oh my God. He's mad at her now because he's turning into a monster. He's yeah. turning into the monster that he changed himself from being at the very beginning for her. And now he wants her to love him, but he's becoming a monster. Jesus. He like, it's yeah, all he's... happening all over again, except this time he's not choosing to turn into a monster. Yeah, this and time, he's blaming her. He's, he's bl- turning all- into a monster, and all he wants is for her to love him. And the one good thing that he had going for him, which is that he was the fucking most beautiful person ever in the history of the universe, is all for shit. I like that part of it. I was like, you need to be taken down roughly 800,000 pegs, and now your feet look like hooves. Fine. <laughs> and now you have, like, bolts in your face. Fine. I don't care. I don't even care. Well, and you know what? No, and it's amazing because she's like, oh, my God. This guy's who, by the end of this, I'm certain looks like Tim Curry in the dark, like Tim Curry <laughs> out of the darkness in Legend, which also is, I think, a, a Disney movie. Um, or like the devil from Fantasia, right? Like we're looking, we're looking at red skin, giant black horns. Like yeah. that point. These are not like delicate ram's horns tight no. to the side of the head. These are massive, <laughs> shining, black, erect horns. Um, that All like better to, to steer him with, my dear. That scene on the table, man. <sighs> um, I'm for it. I, I'm oh, for yeah. As you all know, I've been for horns from the start. I'm, I'm on the record. I was never, I was always for horns. I wasn't before them. I wasn't for horn. them before I was against them. I've always <laughs> been for them. Very pro horns, especially pro Cian's horns. Because he, in my head, he looks like this, like the true devil of like yeah. cartoons and nightmares. And I, I mean, I don't know what this says about me, but yes, please. <laughs> Um, anyway but my point is so like he's turning into this creature and lila too is like yes please yeah and he can't get out of his own head like he can't and this is a part that i really like so we've talked about curvy romances on this podcast before we've talked i've talked about my sort of like relationship with curvy heroines and like body image in life and in text um and I've written a lot of curvy heroines who, like, have struggled with body image, right? Yeah. It's really rewarding to see a hero struggling with body image. Yeah. And he I think really so too. is. Like, he, when she yeah. says, you're hot, like, I want to steer you using your horns, he, like, struggles with it. He can't wrap his head around her being attracted to this part of him. Yeah. Because well, remember, the important right. piece of this for those for the 
I know there are some of you out there who do not read this series but do listen to the podcast. Again, final episode, I don't understand. But as you are king of the – if you are king of hell, which he is, you literally turn into hell. Right, right. Well, I think it makes it especially ironic then that one of the ways that he can, like, watch her is through this magic mirror. Mm-hmm. Right? So here here he is. This he is very at, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Oh, of course. He and also, look. but also uh, Snow White. Oh, Is it Snow White? Yeah. I mean, it's. I feel like it's all of them, right? Mirrors. Like mirror, mirror on the wall, right? I mean, so. This is what we talked about with Bowen and Mariketta, too. Yeah, right? It's a very different kind of mirror because essentially he won't look in mirrors to look at himself, but he has this magic mirror that he can use to, like, watch her. And she senses it, right? Even with she's when she's with her little woodland friends, Chip and Dale, remember? Yeah, she yeah, names yeah. these these spiders she hangs out with. Like, she can sense that she's being watched. And it's really interesting that he then is using mirrors to, like, see her, but he won't use them to see himself. Yeah. Well, and anytime he does see himself, he's just filled with such, like, hatred for his, I mean, for so much, right? There's there's hatred for, um, obviously, his body. There's also hatred for, like, who he is being forced to become, right? Yep. Because unlike Rune, who joins the Morior and then assumes a role right. um, that Orion never gives him. Sian um, joins the Morior as a sort of rejection of his expected path, right? I mean, him amputating his own horns is is really bad and it sticks with him, but he also betrays his own people, right? Like, she manipulates him into telling him telling her secrets about the demons in pandemonium and and the sylvans essentially trap some of them and force them into slavery and yeah you know and his regrets about that are really really wrapped up in kind of what happens to his horns and when he goes back to his brother to gurlov who is his twin right gurlov is like i can't believe that they did this to you And it's not actually clear to me that he ever says, I did it to myself. Well, I mean, he does get to that. That's the whole growth. That's his growth in the. Yeah. Over the course of the book. But I mean, right. 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 His growth over the course of the book is I I cut my own horns off. I like betrayed my. I'm the one who gave her the information. Like I. Right. Right. I let my heart lead me. Or not heart. Like I let myself. Yeah. Be betrayed. Right. Um, Right. Because she never wanted me. She made it very clear she didn't want me. Right. And I refused to listen. Right. Believe women is the moral of this story. (laughs) Um, And like maybe it kind of is because Lila keeps telling him things and she he doesn't believe her. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, So what's really interesting is like we have two people who are kind of like they're so clearly destined for each other and so completely impossible like it's impossible for them to get to each other and um and so impossible that they need a magic castle to bring them together well and it's then it's really interesting because lila is a really amazing heroine who like we've talked about how much i love a heroine like backed into a wall and she is literally right in every single way and 
And he is, like, such a jerk to her at the beginning, right? Like, and he, like, puts her through these tasks and, yeah. They, they both kind of think that Seth is going to be her mate. Right. Like, there's a weird, there's a weird reaction. Like, there's a weird something going on there. And sure. Lila, when she's a child, is basically like, what does she say to him? I'm going to. Oh, know- yeah. He's like, how do I know you didn't betray me like your parents? And yeah, because like, you're, you're still alive. on the throne. Yeah, right? yeah. Which, of course, is then just like foreshadowing for the end when she does take his throne, right? Well, she takes all the thrones. She, <laughs> right. I mean, Lila is, uh, so in the Rune episode, I said, Rune is my favorite hero, but Josie is not my favorite heroine. Lila is my favorite heroine because Lila ultimately gets to a point, and like I think I read this book when it, the day it came out in 2017, and all I wanted was a heroine who was like, fuck all this, I'm in yeah. charge. Of everything. Right. Like, oh, you yeah. know what? You don't want to believe me? You don't want to be my partner? Fine. Fuck Fine. off. I'm changing the locks. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and that's yeah. what she does. She's like, get the fuck out of my house. I'm changing the locks. And there's no more magnificent moment in this book than when he tries to get back. And he's oh, like, yeah. And he like bounces oh, back. Right. Shit. Yeah. And then she gets, he gets mail from the queen of all hells. Like, <laughs> remarkable. I mean, oh, there's so much magnificent stuff about her. Because she does seem, like, at first glimpse, you sort of feel like, well, yeah, is she right. going to be able to deal with this? Like, he right. is the king of hell. He is the right. actual devil. Right. Um, and I do, you know, you said that thing about, like, well, it's a real old school hero who, like, has been done wrong. And he really, like, he is, but I, you know, I keep going back to that piece I wrote about him or referencing him. And I think, I think there's something really interesting about the, like, Cressley's not stupid. If there's anything this podcast is proven, she's not stupid. She picked this hero for a reason. And what's interesting is, like, he's sort of the perfect end hero, in if Lachlan is our first yeah. hero, right? Because we have the same thing, the same sort of archetype at play, this kind of like deep alpha who like has been wronged by the heroine's, the heroine or the heroine's people, right? right? Like there's a lot, like he's sort of old fashioned and he relies heavily on his looks and no one ever yeah. crosses him and, <laughs> and, and, right? Um, but where Emma is so meek at the beginning and, like, has to learn to find herself, Lila is never meek. And so oh, – yeah, never. Um, for Sian to be able to claim her as his queen, or rather, for Sian to be claimed as Lila's king, then there has to be like his evolution is the most critical piece versus in a hunger like no other it really does feel like it's emma's book yeah this yeah. feels like it's it was always lila's book to me it's lot yeah like but what i mean is like it's it's emma's journey versus this is sort of like Lila is almost fully formed when we meet her. Like she just needs the tools like she, the castle needs to deliver her the tools she needs to survive Right. Versus, but she has it all there. Like, Emma has to, Emma doesn't have it all to start. Right. This yeah. feels very much like it's Sian's journey, this book. Like, Lila, sure. Sian's the one who has to change. Yeah. 
I mean, and that, yeah, I think, I think that's exactly right. And he has to become her equal. I mean, that's the other thing. He has to become, in a way that Lachlan, I don't think, ever really does become Emma's, like, equal partner, right? Sian and Lila have to become equals to survive. It's pure cat versus cat. Yeah, absolutely. But I think the thing that's really interesting is that she knows that more than he does, right? He has, he's like, I'm the king and you're just gonna, you know, be my bride and do what I tell you to do. And the way in which she, and it's really one of my favorite moments in this book is when she says to him, like, you know, she has her motto, like fitfo, like figure it the fuck out. And she says to him, like, I can't figure it out, right? I need us to do it together. And you, we as the readers see what a profound moment this is for mm-hmm. her, that she trusts him. And he doesn't really quite get it, right? Like, there's ways in which he, he you know, he's like, oh, don't worry about it. It's all going to work out. I mean, and I think that, like... Even the moment with the table, right? This, like, really amazing scene where he, like, goes down on her. What's really interesting is, like, they're fighting beforehand. They're, right? She's, like, has she's, she's been sneaking around in his office. And she finds, like, the fact that he has, like, a, you know, a brothel with 12 women in it or whatever. And that they say, like, oh, once you're, you know, once your demon seal's gone, you can come and essentially, like, replenish your line. Like, we're waiting for you. And she's so, she's so furious and she's so betrayed. And he finally, like, kind of figures out what she's mad about. And what I liked about that moment with him is that he doesn't, like, laugh at her. Instead, he's like, you are the only one for me and I am the only one for you and I'm not going to throw that in your face anymore and you're not going to throw it in my face anymore. Like, we are for each other. Mm-hmm. And it really is, like, this, honestly, like, it's an amazing moment, mm-hmm. right? Like, where you it's really... It's really sexy, too. Yeah. Like, it's a really, like, and not, that's before she ends up on the table. Like, yeah, it's a it sexy is. moment because he's like, fuck that. Like, I want you. Yeah. Mine. Well, and that's mine, it. Mine, 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 mine. But mine. it's, and we've talked about the evolution of mine. But also with, yours, yours, yours. Yes. Yours, yours, right. Yours. Like, we are each other's. I'm yeah. mine. You're mine. I'm yours, right? Yeah. But, like, let's not forget, like, I mean, I appreciate, Jen, that you want to paint Lila with, like, a broad, like, glossy <laughs> glitter brush. But, like... She understands demonish. She oh, yeah. is lying to him the whole time. Oh, yeah. She's conning him. Like, granted, it's the same as the player where uh, she has a good reason. Yeah. But, like, there's a lot about Lila. Like, Lila's not, she's like, a survivor. Glinda the Good Witch. No. Like, she's a survivor. And I think that comes from the fact that when she was 13, she got kicked out of... I mean, I think about this a lot, right? I mean, I'm sorry. Like, when she was 13 and got kicked out of Sylvan, right, she essentially has to figure out a way to live on her own on Earth and, like, go to college and get a job and do all these things for herself. And she does them. And it's kind of glossed over in the text because it's just her perspective of herself is that that's just what people do. You just figure it out and fucking do it. But we as readers realize how profoundly kind of how profoundly well suited she is to survive wherever she is and no matter what she's thrown into. Right. 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 So it 
doesn't surprise me at all. And I, and it's funny because unlike the player where like the whole like lying to him was so, like I never worried once about her lying to him. I was like, girl, you do what you have to do. You do what you have to do. I, I never once worried about like every once in a while she'd be like, mm, I guess I should tell him. I was like, we're not. Who cares? You know? <laughs> well, I cared. I cared because I wanted like, yeah. because you can't have you can't like it's perfect cat versus cat but you cannot have an equal partnership if you're lying at the level at which she was lying right like so it did matter to me it mattered because you could see him and look this is Cressley at her best like you can see him absolutely going wild for her yeah and knowing that this is all gonna end real badly when things you know reveal themselves Except it ends real badly because he's a fucking asshole about but it. But see, and that's why I think the whole, like, she was keeping some things back never bothered me because her, and at one point she even says that, like, I can trust him with my body, but can I trust him? Yeah. And I was like, no, because he still thinks that you are someone who did him wrong 10,000 years ago. And she refuses to be that person, right? So I was like, look, you can't you can't trust him. Good instincts. <laughs> right? I mean, that's like how I felt. Like I guess, you were still yeah. in survival mode. This no, is that's, not that's yeah. all fair. I mean, but at some point Sure. I mean, like pretty quick, it becomes clear that he's like pretty wild about her. Yeah, like but like not wild enough to stop being a dick. <laughs> like right? Like when they when he takes her out to yeah. the sand to the beach to like meet the sea serpents. And he has his sea serpent friend from when he was little. Okay, that was adorable. The yes, primordial right. sea serpent. And then like the hell kittens and the hell cats, the I hell know, dogs. So cute. So cute. Yeah. No. Um, let's also talk about this. So can we talk about the castle, the magic castle and the fawn? Yeah. And the, like doors. And then I want to talk about the dragon. Oh god, yes, he's amazing. Who is awesome. You know what's really interesting about the the castle is, of course, it's impossible not to think of Harry Potter. I was going to say, it's Hogwarts. Right. And it's the room of requirement. All of it. All of it, right? The entire castle is the room of requirement. And I think that um, one of the things that's, like, really interesting to me about that is... I mean, again, it's like returning to these like childhood stories and tropes. And part of me does also wonder if it's not because, you know, when we were, when I was growing up, it felt like there were children's things and adult things, Mm. right? That those were separate. And now I feel like that is not the case at all. Like, you know, I, adults read YA, like adults read comics, kids, you know, like, I just feel like there's so, so much like blending of like pop fi- pop pop culture is for everyone. Mm. And I and I found myself wondering like maybe the Disney stuff in this book is the way of saying like hey, it doesn't matter how old you are. Like a great princess story and a great like, you know, moving castle and all that stuff for everyone. It's it's not like you grow out of like the magic kingdom. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I mean, I it would never surprise me if this were just 
Cressley saying, like, I'm going to tell a fairy tale and I'm going to tell it better than anybody's done it before. Yeah. Right? Like, it's magnificent. The the seamlessness with which she... I mean, considering we're talking about a book that basically has zero plot, right? Right. The seamlessness with which she structures the story and then delivers a really, really rewarding ending where Lila, I mean, okay, so this, so, I mean, there's about, what, two thirds, three quarters of the way through, Lila's basically done. She's done with Sian. Oh, yeah. And Josie and Runa, she finds, like, she follows the fawn into somewhere in the castle and she can hear Josie and Rune and Sian talking. Yep. And she's given Sian a, a note that says, with a Beyonce quote on it. Oh, th- right? no, that's at the, I mean, that's after she locks him out. Uther d- delivers the note with the Beyonce quote. And then, so, but who, is it Rune who translates it? Oh, yeah. It's, it's hilarious, right? All right. So wait, I'm, I'm conflating two events. But so like she can hear, she can see him with his, so she sees him with his friends and she sort of realizes that, like, he's not introducing her to his, like, he doesn't want her to be a part of his life. Like, mm. and he's, she's worried about that. Like, she, she's hurt by it. And yeah. there's a moment there where sort of she sees Josie and Rune together and she sees, like, that they're clearly oh, in love. Oh, how in love they are. Oh, yeah. And she's like, why wouldn't. Why wouldn't he want me to be a part of that? Like, why wouldn't he? Why won't he invite me to be a part of this? Right? The castle gives Lila access to Sian. I mean, this is your cheat, right? She can't read yeah. her memories, but the castle is is our like narrative cheat here. Yeah, she it gives Lila access to Sian so that she can see him in his purest human in his humanity, yeah. right? Where he is not the king of all hells. Yeah, but that's not what causes, like, that's not the low moment of this book, right? No, like, no, 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 no. It's, it's that he figures out that he's the low moment. Like, he, she, he discovers that she's betrayed him. Right. And, and he's like. And it's a repetition of the past. Right. And he's like, I, you know, because he actually is, you but know, this she's. this is my point, is like. Yeah. So he realizes that and she's like, fuck you, you have kept right. everything from me like you've kept right. your whole life from me like we're supposed to be partners we're supposed to solve right. all our problems together all the things that you said like you didn't you haven't shown me any of that stuff so like pardon me for not believing that like right we were a team yeah and he leaves in a in a huff because he's oh in- i mean but he like puts her in a dungeon and says i forsake you and our marriage is like essentially over i mean it's not just like leaving in a huff i mean it is like Burning it down on the way out, leaving yeah, him huff, well, right? I mean, because he's an old school yeah, hero right. who acts without sense. <laughs> right, absolutely. Right? Also, remember, in 10,000 years, he's never had feelings. Because he's been flying around the universe with Orion on the Starship sure. Enterprise. And he's also never had anyone challenge him, which I think is also it's really interesting, right? And yeah. so... To have her challenging him is, like, sexy and seductive and makes her interesting. But then at this moment where he can't, you know, he's like, I don't even want to hear from you. Right? Like, just don't do it. Yep. And she's like, fine. Fuck off. 
Yeah. Like, oh, I'm yeah, it's bitter. It done. is a bitter moment. I'm yeah. done. And you, and it is a pretty, it's remarkable. It's a remarkable moment, right? Yeah. And uh, and the castle delivers her. Immediately, by the way, right? Yeah. She does not, like, cry in her bed. She's like, I want out of here. And it's like the door opens and the fawn appears, right? And then mm-hmm. she, del- you know, discovers, like, the secret fire or whatever. <laughs> she discovers yeah. the fire. She discovers the weapon. And then she discovers a the crown. crown. Yeah. The crown of the Queen of Pandemonia. And Ulther, is that how you pronounce it? Uther? I think Uther? it's like Uther. Yeah. Uther the dragon. Oh, <laughs> I love him. It's a great, him. great scene. For the scene. record, in the, at the end of this, when, when Nick's, when the frame returns and Nick's is talking to the Valkyries about this, one of the Valkyries says, I want to bone the dragon. Oh, yeah. And everyone's <laughs> like, oh, yeah. He's great. And he comes over to her in all his dragon glory. And he scents, he smells her horns, the horns on her crown. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, Uh shit. shit. (laughs) Well, and we still don't know what it is, right? We don't know what it is. Because she doesn't know, but he does, right? Well, and so then what happens is she asks him to, like, open a portal. And I I actually have this, um, I have it marked, right? She's like, take a letter to see in. I mean, she basically, once she puts this crown on and discovers this hellfire, realizes that she, that pandemonium Wait, the hellfire, ex- which yeah. CN has been looking for for 10,000 years. Oh, yeah. Like, and, oh, yeah. And she knows exactly what it means, which is, we are equals here. Pan- right. This she place has the, accepted me as its queen. She is the true, right? Um, she is the true, ra- true monarch. Yeah. All hells. And she realizes she's like, I can see it the way he sees it. I can make things happen and grow. And she kind of like rolls into and defines Uther and says, you know, I'm going to need you to make me a portal so I can go to this fey ball and talk to Seth. And while you're at it, why don't you deliver this note <laughs> to Sian? And what it says is, um, and this is, it is like so effing funny, right? She says, hell is now mine. You locked me in a dungeon. I locked you out of our God's damn house. Like, right? Like, she's, yeah. she says it, right? And then, in the immortal words of a very wise mortal, everything you own in the box to the left, right? <laughs> so that's the Beyonce quote. And then what it is is, like, Sian's like, you know, like, what does it mean about the box to the left? Does she reference Pandora's box? Right? <laughs> Rune says, <laughs> Rune's like, mm. He says, no. brother, it's a song lyric, and just trust me when I say it's the funniest shit you've ever read. <laughs> and I reread this, and I was cracking up. I was like, oh, my God, it's still delightful. I'd, like, like read it before and forgotten. Yeah. Like, Rune discovered Beyonce. <laughs> yes, like, Josie was like, look, we can't be together unless you are getting down with this. <laughs> oh, so funny. I, I am. It's an amazing, then, amazing uh, ending. But then it is when perfect. he sees her and she's wearing the crown and he's like, they're my horns. Mm-hmm. Like, you're wearing yeah. my horns. Yeah. It's like when Josie puts on the blood runes. Yeah. Like, it's that moment of like. Yeah. We are each other's. Like, yeah. You are each other. Yeah. Uh, it's so good. Yeah. It's, it's really so amazing. Good. It is. 
Mm. I mean, it's a great book. It's a great retelling of Beauty and the Beast. Like, oh yeah, really for sure. solid retelling, like of a beast kidnapping Beauty and like them having a go, a run at each other. There's even this line in the book where he's like, he's like, you know, I was trying to think of all the things we had in common, and the only one we really. We both really like reading, and I was like, oh, you two are so fucking cute with their reading. It's true. <laughs> right? It's and there's like a library. I mean, like that amazing moment in the movie Beauty and the Beast where Belle has like the library, right? Like all mm-hmm. of that, right? But it's better than Beauty and the Beast because at the end, he doesn't go back to being a blonde-haired, blue-eyed prince. Yeah, right. He can change himself, one and when he's like, I'm going to be a prince, she's like, mm, but are you, though? Like, yeah. can we go back? Like, I love the king of all hells. I love right. Tim Curry as darkness, right. the darkness. I love the devil from right. Antasia. I love the man I fell in love with. I want right? to shine yeah. up your big black horns. <laughs> and your pierced cock. Fine. Yeah. yeah. And like, your wings. Right? And your what? And his wings. Like, he's, yeah. he sleeps oh, in his, his wings. wings. I love that. I mean, yeah. those, everything about this book, everything about him, Demon, works a whole lot for me. I've already said that. But I it bears repeating. You're like, let me say it again. Let me repeat myself. Um, it is tremendous. It's a tremendous, like, the ending is exactly what it should be. Um, yeah. And so then what we have here, so... And that's it, you guys. That's the end of IAD as of right now. Um, and so where we are left is Nyx versus Orion. Yeah. The Sylvan Fae, which is one sect of the Fae, is now run by the Morior. Presumably Lila as Primordial Fae is sitting at the table of the, Mi- the Morior. Right. Josie is a Primordial something, something at this point. Yeah. Also sitting at the table with the Morior. And we don't have any idea what's happening. We know the accession is coming. Nyx is not a goddess yet. And uh, we don't know what Orion is. We still don't know. You know, the other thing I I that felt interesting this time around is um, when they talked about Uther's skills, or one of them, I think it was Uther, that he is competent in time travel. And I noticed that only because... Uh, the chapter we have of Monroe's book, or or whatever, right? What what? Where is? Where did we get that? That like Monroe? Was there? Is there a chat? A first chapter of Monroe? Did it happen at the end of a book where Monroe like changes? It must have been at the end of McReeve. Yeah, huh? it's the end of it's the last yeah. chapter of McReeve. Um, that we know that those like a warlocks are fucking around with time. Mm-hmm. And I and so it makes sense to me to assume that one of the ways that we're going to see Uther again is that the Moriors like time travel guy is Uther, and if they're going to be battling time traveling wizards, so like Derek, I don't right want there to yeah. be time traveling. Wizards. I know time travel is the worst. It really is. I don't, but we are. It's I already don't there. Really care about wizards either. But um, here's what I want. I want Derek <laughs> to you know, go full wolf hologram. I want Uther to to shift. It's ba- it's said multiple times in text yeah. that Uther just stopped shifting back. Yep. Like that he just stayed dragon. Yeah. So like 
yeah, I want that to happen. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Blaze is not in this book, really. Right. Neither is Elixta, really. No, he just, like, makes a joke about how she's obsessed with, like, taxes or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, understandably, the witches have done her dirty. <laughs> um, I mean, there's, so I think that, I think we're, I cannot, I do not understand what's going to happen with the, with Monroe and the Morior. Yeah. Because that book coming next, like, you can't, she can't just cold storage the Morior. Yeah. Well, and that's why as I was reading this again, I was like looking for it's like Darek. what felt like windows. Yeah. yeah but I think it might be I think now. it might be Uther too is my right. I think I hope maybe so. I would like to see more of him. He's great. Oh my god, he's amazing. I mean, and then we have this big question about Orion, who I think is without question a god. And I don't know if Cress is gonna go there, but like could be the god of gods, right? Like there's I don't know I don't know there's so many questions um it feels like after reading what 18 books it feels like I have more questions than before yeah for sure um because it we did such a close read yeah um tell us come talk to us online you guys I feel like I'm gonna reread start rereading this whole series (laughs) again really fast really soon yeah um tell us what you think is gonna happen um, tell us how excited excited you are for Monroe or for what books are you hoping will come next? What, what books are you ex- are you do you want from Cressley? I don't know how to end. I don't either. I was just thinking that. I it's don't know how to end. Season 1 of Fated Mates. Um I don't know. I'm going to end just by saying like I started this season saying like I think Cressley's one of the best among us. I'm going to finish it saying I think Cressley might be the best among us. Um, I think she's she's a superior storyteller. Yeah. And if you are writing romance at all and you have not read Cressley, you are doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. And I think that that's like this this book is such a tour to like such a tour de force of storytelling. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful book. She gets better. Oh yeah. And there aren't that there aren't that many writers who have written what she's written in the twenties now, right? Like there are twenty five oh, books. Yeah. I mean, if you don't count the YA, there there are probably about twenty five books. And I honestly believe like book twenty five, this book, Wicked Abyss, Sweet Ruin, The Player, like Right. Right. Those are three of her best books. And right. they are the most recent. You know, the other thing I was thinking is it's not like they're all the same. You know, I mean, I think there must be tremendous pressure on writer, successful authors to deliver, to like essentially do fan service, right? Like, this is what my fans want. And so I'm going to give it to them because this is a product and I need to sell it, right? Mm -hmm. If I want to make a living, then that's important. And I think it's really amazing the way in which, you know, yeah, there's a core story and we have like noodled over that quite a bit. But I don't feel at all, like, when I think about, like, those early books, right? Like, I mean, in in particular, I guess I was thinking a lot about um, No Rest for the Wicked, which is the, you know, the um, amazing race. Like, imagine saying to, like, to, those, to Katerin and Sebastian, like, okay, 
actually, we're just going to, like, trap you in Sebastian's smelly old castle for an entire book. Like, she, right? Like, it's impossible to imagine. And yet, it works here, right? So, these, she's evolving. Every book hones your craft and Cressley's craft. I mean, like, I don't think we saw, I think, I think the Game Maker series is the most distilled version. Like, yeah. There's something really remarkable about how a writer develops craft that is so clear over those three books that, I mean, I feel like I feel like writing teachers could use those three books as an example of like how a writer evolves. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what's happening here. I said I think there's I think there's it's worth it's a worthy exercise to compare a hunger like no other to Wicked Abyss. Um, and like, I don't even want to talk. I don't, I sort of feel like that's a betrayal of Cressley because like, we know she's not done, right? Like Wicked Abyss right. is not the end of the right. series. Right. But like, I really. That's what we have though. Yeah. But for me, it is the end right now. And like being able to compare it to that first book and just see the leaps and bounds that she's made as a writer in craft and storytelling. And she's just like challenging. I mean, this is me, you know not just fangirling but also like being a writer with her right Cressley is challenging all she is raising the bar for all of us like in these books these books are complex they are nuanced right. they are evolved the heroes are doing like they're doing political work they're doing emotional oh, yeah. work they are telling the story of like women in the world of marginalized people in the world of like dominant forces and politics i like i i yeah. we've said this every other week it feels like these are these books are are immensely re- relevant in 2019 i don't know uh, yeah. she's a witch <laughs> she has paid her taxes to elixta is what you're yeah. saying yeah She's a witch who's paid, or she maybe is. Oh, here's one other thing, though. Now we sort of, like, blown out. But I did want to say this. For the first time ever, reading this, this time, the rapper where Nick says, like, I'm the one telling the story. Yeah. Um, I had this moment where I was like, oh, my God, is Nick's Cressley? Like, yeah. is Nick's the stand-in for right. Cressley all of a sudden like maybe I did have a moment I've said this over the series where I've I've doubted the like the possibility that Nix could ever be a heroine in, yeah. the, in a romance right. novel because she's too much right? right is it possible that what we're starting to see is that what we're seeing is that like Nix is actually a totem for yeah right Presley. sure absolutely I mean and think about like think about what it would be like to have like all of this in your head and be the one responsible for like getting it all down and in the right order. Right. Like it totally makes sense to use like a soothsayer as a, uh, like a metaphor for an author. And as like a grounding force. Like, yeah, you can, we've talked about this before, but like Nix is a dog, right? Like she come, like you put a dog on the page to do dog things. And as long as it behaves the way a dog behaves, like, Right. You know, you're fine. And so, you know, 
Nyx is such a she's such a useful character because you can always bring her in like I w- we didn't talk about this when we were talking about Shadow's Claim and Shadow's Seduction but Nyx is used so well in Shadow's Claim too to like oh, yeah. manipulate stuff and then like beat the hell out of Dodge right and nobody right, thinks you don't blink yeah well and you know what's really interesting is the person who seems to have the utmost like respect for her is Josie who is like yeah she beat the shit out of me yeah. Right? Like, everyone else is like, yeah, she's just kind of crazy. Right? But it's Josie who's the one who's like, mm, I think we need to... She's doing way more than that. Right? Yeah. So, the continuation... I don't know. We're all just on Monroe Watch. Right? That's all. Someday. That's all we can do now. Someday. He didn't come in May. Maybe he'll come by the end of the year. We can dream. I know. I know. Well, until then... This is Faded Mates. Next week, we've got a little surprise for you, like, you know, a, a fun little interstitial. And then we're taking a break. We're going yeah. um, on hiatus until the beginning of September to celebrate the rest of summer, the end of summer in the States. And um, we'll be back with season two, uh, early September. And you'll learn more about what we have planned online at Twitter, yeah. at Faded Mates, on Instagram, at Faded Mates Pod. Thanks for doing this with us, you guys. Yeah. It's hard to believe it's over. Jen, can you believe it? We actually did it. I feel sad. Well, yesterday we were t- we were texting and you were like, why did I not know that you wrote this thread on Twitter a year ago? And I was like, because we weren't friends. I it know. Was, it's crazy. How it was that possible. BFM <laughs> before Fade Mates. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, it is, it, we will have hopefully already seen you at RWA, everyone. Um, we hope you had a great time, and uh, yeah, see you in September. See you soon. To the left, 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 everything you own in the box, to the left, in the closet, that's my stuff, yes, if I bought it, nigga, please don't touch, don't touch. and keep talking that mess, that's fine, but could you walk and talk at the same time, man, it's my name that's on that jack, so remove your bags, let me call you a calf, standing in the front yard, telling me how I'm such a fool, talking about how I'll never ever find a man like you. You got me twisted You must not know about me You must not know about me I could have another you in a minute Matter of fact, he'll be here in a minute, baby You must not know about me You must not know about me I can have another you by tomorrow So don't you ever for a second get to thinking You're a place of